Welcome to Soccer Better Season 3. We're Liz and Laura Ellen. Liz is a lawyer and Laura Ellen is the scientist. We've put our education to use by digging into the analytical side of all things soccer. Each episode, we discuss a piece of soccer or sports research. Join us as we discover how we can all soccer better. Liz, it's episode four of season three of Soccer Better, and we have another article. I picked this one again, but I guess it was time for me to not have such good results are you sure you picked this one because i thought i picked this one. Oh, let's say you picked and I was it like well, okay great because i i read it i was like i think i picked this one and this is a dud <laughs> uh but we'll talk about it we'll talk about it uh that's terrible i mean of course right i'm just uh talking on the assumption that none of the authors of this paper are going to be listening to our podcast uh, but, I, you know, I think there are some things that we can learn uh, and some things that perhaps researchers in the future can avoid. And, uh, yeah. So, also, anything else like, you want to say before we, we get really, started? <laughs> we're really opinionated ladies about not just the actual science behind this, but we have opinions about everything. So I take it for what it is. If you're not used to getting critiqued, I don't know how you got a paper published. So you'll, you'll be fine. That's a good point. This is not, and it never is, a personal attack on the authors. This is about how can we um, find ways to make science better. Yeah. Not only are we doing soccer better, but we're also research better and uh, science better. If you haven't there figured it out, we just want to make the world better. We just also like soccer. So that's where we're starting. <laughs> that's where we're starting. Once we get soccer to where, you know, on the right path, then, you know, maybe we'll transition <laughs> to something else. Okay. Okay. Enough rambling. Here we go. Uh, today's article is entitled, A Multidisciplinary Approach to Talent Identification in Soccer. And it was written by Riley and colleagues and published in the year 2000, which, you know, that should have been an indication anyway, but it was published in the Journal of Sports Sciences. Uh, so I had to remind myself that the year 2000 was 21 years ago. And the data for this paper uh, were collected in, what was it, 1998 and 19, yeah, the 1998-1999 season. So this data are what 22 23 years old you know and that i mean i can get past that here's my problem his references are from the 70s that's a problem (laughs) (laughs) that shouldn't be a reference material like if that's where it started that's fine but i know other people have talked about physicality and other people have talked about psychology Other people have talked about all these things, sir. Why are all of your references from the late 70s or the early 80s? Not okay. And there we have, yes, and there we have it. Um, You know, certainly that was my critique. There were several places where I just circled and said old um, in the introduction. And to be fair, so, okay, let's take a step back here. To be fair, some of the papers that they may have cited, like there was a rugby paper that they cited. Um, you know, there were a couple soccer papers that they cited in their introduction. Maybe these are like the seminal papers 
in this field. And so if they are the seminal papers, if they are the, the key papers that we need to work on, that or you know that kind of lay the foundation for where the field is and moving this particular um topic of research forward then maybe it's okay but they didn't identify that these are the foundational papers so yes the references i mean they have one from 98 but 87 79 94 isn't too bad 97 okay anyway so let's just let's just skip the introduction and let's talk about the aims of the paper because I think you know that at least from my perspective seems to be the best place to move forward. So the aims of the current uh, research project that this paper is discussing were to one design design and apply a multivariate test battery for assessing talent in young soccer players and two to assess its ability, meaning the multivariate test battery. Uh, its ability to distinguish elite from sub-elite young players. Okay, so our goal here is to create a series of tests that we can give to young players to distinguish the elite from the sub-elite ones. Okay, so that was our goal. So with that in mind, our researchers... Uh, found 31 um actually i want to stop here because i forgot to mention this so some of these researchers are from liverpool and i don't know if this stuck out to you liz but in may um of 2019 there was an article published in the new york times i actually have it up here and the title of the article is how data and some breathtaking soccer brought Liverpool to the cusp of glory. So I believe, I believe this was before, no, because they won the Premier League. Anyway, but it talks about, in this article in the New York Times, which is from 2019, it talks about how Liverpool has really leveraged data um, to bring success to their soccer club. Um, and so I did some like diving to see if some of the authors of this paper were still connected with um, the current Liverpool like data structure because I was like, oh, maybe this horrid paper was like a foundation. Like they were just like trying things out. Yeah. But, you know, over the past 21 years, they've perfected it. I did not see any connection. That doesn't mean that there wasn't a connection or that some of these authors mentees aren't currently involved in Liber in Liverpool's like data analytics. Anyway, I just wanted to stop there. So let me let me stop because I've been talking for a while. Liz, was there anything about kind of the overall questions or the introduction to this paper that that stood out to you? Um, I think that, you know, we usually note it for good or bad, the the size of the group that studied 31 is not a large size. Um, I think that we always note it where it's an all-male cohort. We have an all-male cohort here. Um, it's not that it isn't understandable. It's not that we don't know why it happens. We just don't like that it happens. And if we don't keep being the squeaky wheel that talks about it happening, then no one's ever going to address it. So I think those things are worth noting. Um, I think that overall, the presentation style and their writing style is very easy to understand 
but I don't think that they were very good about um, presenting their information in an orderly manner. So I would read through a paragraph and like everyone knows, my big thing is psychology. What are we doing with the brain? Are we talking about it? Because it's important. Um, and they go through and they're like, these are the things that you consider. And they go through all of these things and they're like, all of those are important. I was like, oh my God, they didn't talk about psychology. How did they miss that? And then two paragraphs later, they're like, and all of these things about psychology are really important. So it only makes sense that that's included. I was like, this is three paragraphs after you told me what your measurements were. And it was confusing, but more I was frustrated because those the way that they presented the information was really understandable. It's super identifiable. Like I could understand this paper much clearer than I could understand a lot of other papers, except for, of course, the statistical piece, which I'm just, I don't have the brain for. My brain goes, meh, numbers, those are fun. Uh, so I just would have, I think I would have liked to see some of these paragraphs reordered. And I think this could have had a bigger impact. Yes. So I, yeah, I agree with you. I think the other thing that they didn't talk about uh, were the race of these, uh, of their participants. So this is 2000 in the UK. So my assumption is, is that every single one of their 31 participants uh, were white, but they still should have said that. Um, And if there were non-white participants that also could potentially like explain some of the differences in opportunity um and like how some of their results came to be yeah i think that that only would have made a real impact for me um when they talk about the body type of these individuals the other factors like of all the factors they go through um the body type one, which I've never heard described this way. I had to look up quite a few words in order to understand exactly what they were saying to me. Um, But so the endomorphy of the soma type and the soma type is like a body type, whether you're like tall and thin or you're built short and heavy, like just all of those things. And the endomorphy is a soma type that is generally lean Um, But they gain both fat and muscle very easily. And if they gain fat, they have a hard time losing it. So I think that's the only place that I would have been interested in race. Everything else doesn't really have a race factor for me. I think it's an interesting thing to note. But I'm not sure that um, I picked up on that that missed uh, data point. Yeah, I think for me, and this is the big thing that I think, I mean, one of the big things that I think is missing from this paper is what they report nowhere in their paper. And please, Liz, tell me if I'm wrong. Like, please tell me if I miss this. But I could not find anything that talked about, excuse me, if it, it that talked about, like, the number of training sessions they had per week. How many hours were they in training? How much weightlifting did, did their participants do? Because the elite players that they used were participated in youth international soccer and the sub elite players. How did it word it? Um, were not signed to a professional club, but had played regular regularly for various local and school teams. Okay. That first of all, that definition is not very clear. 
But there's no description of, okay, like, what access do these kids have to, like, nutrition? Right. Or, right, like, this is, there's just, I, I, I don't know, when I read this paper, I'm like, okay, this was from 2000, but still, there are scientists, and they're still doing a thing that was published in the peer-reviewed literature, you know, peer-reviewed, quote-unquote, right? I don't know. But... I, I, I just feel like a key piece that's really missing here is any understanding, because I think in some, in one of the, and I'm blanking on which one, but in one of the, um, in one of the articles that we did for season two, it included the number of hours of training yes. per week. It included, you know, what kinds of trainings that, that the kids were doing. And that was a factor that explained some of the differences, Right. Like I remember us talking about like the amount of time and uh, time to touches on the ball that that kids were having made a difference in their outcomes of, of what the analysis was looking at. And so I'm like, OK, does this do your analyses actually explain anything? Because you're not capturing this like complete like this like whole component Right. Anyway, and so I think that's where like race made a difference for me because we know that structural racism exists everywhere. Uh, you know, it exists in the UK. It exists here in, in the US. And so if if there were non-white kids in this study, did they have differential access to resources and to playing soccer that would have made a difference in some of the like... Um, they had like anticipation tests and soccer specific skills tests. And so that's okay. I'm stepping off my soapbox now. It's your turn. No, I think that makes perfect sense. And no, they didn't include any information about the difference in training hours or the availability of a nutritionist or a physician who's regularly working with you. Um, they also like their analysis of psychological profiling didn't have anything to do with anything psychological they put anticipation uh observation as a a psychological profiling i i mean it happens in your brain but like (laughs) that doesn't doesn't really do it for me sir so um that point is very well taken because of their factors half of them the anthropomorphic and the physiological profiling that they say are definitive to determine whether or not a student or a a youth has the ability to become an elite player. I mean, half of those can be based on your ability to have a nutritionist, to regularly see a doctor, to have regular training sessions. Um, I mean, one of their main things that they harped on again and again is like, those players with the greatest endurance, most easily to recover from, you know, a really long run, were elite players. Sherlock, I got news for you. You didn't surprise anyone with that finding. And I'm not saying that there aren't some no-duh findings in science on a regular basis, and that's perfectly acceptable. But the, the way that they harped on this over and over again, and they just they mentioned that specifically, I was like, stop. Because that can be explained by a hundred other factors because you are looking at someone who plays international football, soccer, Versus someone who casually plays for their high school team. Or even just regularly plays, like, pickup soccer after school, it sounds like. Like, the, the, the disparity can be so huge. And endurance, of all things, is quite easily explained about, away by opportunity. That's right. So, maybe we should... <laughs> 
we should uh, take another just momentary step back. So they looked at four different um, categories of tests. So they looked at the anthropomorphic profiling. So that's um, body, that's height, body mass, skin folds. Um, I liked the girth measurements. <laughs> I wrote girth, LOL, on the side because I just find the, the word girth funny. Um, and then they had the physiological profiling. So that's speed, um, like ability to like jump, things like that. They had the psychological profiling, which included um, like uh, anxiety, um, which I thought was like interesting. And that's where the anticipation um, piece came in. And then they had soccer specific skills, which were primarily shooting and dribbling. Um, and again, they talked, I, I think in some point in their results section, they talked about like, um, like the burst out of or like the different um, times to like peak speed or something. And I was just like, yeah, okay. And again, for me, right, this goes back to what acts like, and, and again, I think I have to remind myself and I don't think they, I don't think the authors did a good enough job that what they were doing was, is descriptive. They weren't trying to like be predictive. They weren't trying to say that, um, these types of factors will predict future elite they they were like the analyses that they did were descriptive and so they used uh manova and um anova which is, looks at um analyses of variance i think they did these analyses by hand i must say because they don't list any statistical software which is also mind-boggling to me. It was also 2000. I mean, I don't know, like, the availability of statistical packages I forgive them at that point. for only having 31 individuals involve them. I would have done, right. I would have done two. Sure. I'm like, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. I don't, don't want to do that. I mean, they may not, they may have used, like, Excel or something, but normally, and that's the other thing. I think the reporting, um reporting for statistical things has changed a lot mm. in the past 21 years, which makes sense. And so they don't clearly identify how they set up. I was looking for an equation somewhere because that would have helped me to understand a little bit better how they set up their analysis um, or analyses, but I couldn't really find that. But so essentially what they were doing is they had, uh, let me make sure I get these numbers right. Yeah. They had 16 elite, um, young males and they had 15 sub elite and so they did all these tests on their um 31 participants and then for their analysis they looked at how each group like how all the individuals within the elite group did and then how all the individuals in the sub elite group did on each of the things on each of the assessments and then they compared the averages of those two groups. Does that make sense? Yes. And I actually gleaned that from their description, which is part something I really appreciated that even though when I looked at the, the exact information, I was real fuzzy. But when they talked about it, I was like, oh, I like that you used the mean and the average. I like that you use those numbers. And I can understand that you use those numbers. So I gave them lots of points for that. 
Yes. And as someone who dabbles in statistics a little bit, and I am by no means a statistical expert, but another reason why I think they did this by hand is because if I were, if I was given this data set today, I probably would not have used these statistical methods to analyze the data, uh, but it's fine. So anyway, so that's what they did. So they looked at the averages between each group and then they compared those averages to see like what were the things that were different that were different across the two groups. Does that make sense? Yes. Across the means of the two groups. Okay. Um, so they found a couple things. Um, Liz, was there anything that like anything that stood out to you other than like the elite players were leaner? <laughs> They had less body fat, um, probably because they ran more often. No, uh, I did have a number of things that I felt were very interesting. And um, to whatever extent that I'm ever involved with youths and, you know, determining, helping them determine their future in the soccer world, I think there were interesting things. Um, so there was a significant difference as far as the elite players being much better at the dribbling skills and being able to go through the cones and work those things. But both sets of players did just as well uh, scoring goals, like at the attack. And I think that that's unsurprising to me because no matter who you are, when you start, like you want to make a goal and the easiest way to do that is to practice set pieces, which I anticipate is how they test these people. So just because you're, and this explains a lot, like when if you move between different divisions, if you're a proven goal scorer in division three and then suddenly you get to division two and you're just like completely outclassed and no one can understand why it's because you can't dribble. And then I, you know what I mean? Like really broad strokes there saying really dumb things from someone who doesn't play soccer. But uh, that was really interesting to me. And also like they did later get into some psychology things that they just didn't present when they said this is what we actually tested and these were our questions but players who played the game because they liked the game either they liked analyzing the game or they liked to be on the field with their team um, and they weren't out there for self-glory based on whatever however they did their questions like those players tended to be more elite they really enjoyed the game so just a love of soccer in general even if it starts off as watching it and analyzing it may mean that in the end you could be a better soccer player than your friend who you know can score all all day every day you could still be that better player so I think those were really interesting things that I took out of it and things that I could you know hopefully talk to a youth about if they're sad because they didn't score 10 goals like their friends I don't know I'm trying to apply it man you're doing a great job I think one of the things that I, again, wish that they uh, talked about in, I mean, in the discussion section, and again, I think my guess is they were really trying to stay within the scope of what they did, which I can appreciate that. Like, I can appreciate that they didn't want to kind of hypothesize and speak right. Like, they didn't want to be like, well, and now we know that this will predict you know, future elite status. Right. Because, you you know, that's not what this was set up to do. But I think one of the things I do wish they at least would have touched on is is at least their inklings as the, de the degree to which some of these skills 
um, or some of these things can be learned or can be like developed. So just right, like it makes sense that players who have more practice time are leaner, right? I do think that right if <laughs> right. they would have had, right. if they would have had a, a variable saying how much, like how many hours per week do you play? My guess is that that would have explained a lot of the variance, but alas, here we are. But I mean, I think some of that, I think some of the anticipation, right, from some of the other research that we've read, that we know that anticipation is um, improved with touches and time on the ball and game time experience and watching, right? Like, and granted, that research happened after this research happened, so you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, whatever, whatever. But I mean, I still, I guess I still wish they would at least talk to that a little, you know, spoken to that a little bit more that like, this is not the end all be all because I just, I don't know. I kind of found the results of this, like a bit deterministic, like, well, if you're just leaner, you know, and I'm like, okay. But I mean, at the end that didn't really like being lean didn't come out to like mean anything. So I guess I should stop using that as an example. <laughs> no, you, listen, I feel like all I've done is rant, so it's nice that you're also ranting. I don't want to be alone over here on my soapbox. I know. I feel like this is this is the episode where both of us just, you know, have, you know, normally one of us has, like, something a bit more positive to say, but not this article. This was the one that got us on the same page. <laughs> now we're friends again. We were just going to end this show. We just couldn't take it anymore. But this... This got us back together. Um, yes. No, I mean, I really did enjoy reading about and feeling like it mattered if you were focused on long-term results and if you were trying to master a skill set as opposed to score the most goals or trying to, you know, be the goalie who never let in, who had the most clean sheets. Like, it, it wasn't about immediate um, results. It was, you know, that this is, or you're 16, was 16 to 18. Like you were young, you're on a journey. And I think that came out in this paper um, that that's important. I think also like, I did note, we talked about anticipation before and it like, there is a significant difference between these two sets of players. If they are shown a scene and asked, where's the ball going? The elite players know more about where that ball's going and whether you're on the field or you're watching it on a screen having that instinct and yes it is a learned instinct but if you're like i just it's not clicking for me i never know where the ball is watch some more plays and then you know find someone who can set up things and stop the stop the tape and say okay where do you think the ball's going and why do you think it's going that way that way and if you're getting it wrong find someone who can explain it to you like okay do you see the way that his body's turned do you see the way that he's on his non-dominant foot and like foot domination and like how you use your dominant foot i have learned how important that is just listening to soccer you know over the years and you can tell a lot by how a player takes a ball down out of the air they taking it down on their chest they go ahead and put up their leg you know, that anticipation can really be taught. So if you love the game, there are ways to improve that aren't all about, I scored 35 goals this season. So I did think that it gave you some hope for improving your game. Yeah, no, I think you just hit on exactly what I was thinking as kind of where to take this research moving forward. I think, um, 
Yeah, this can be like aspirational in a way, right? Like, you know, for young players thinking, okay, what are the things that are important to focus on? And, you know, it comes back to anticipation. It comes back to, when I have to look, what are some of the other things? Like controlling anxiety, which com- goes back to the mindfulness piece, right? right? Uh, the mindfulness article that we read, you know, there are, there are ways to, these things are modifiable, Right, like sprint times. That that was another one that, um, that you know came out being significant. And so thinking about, okay, these these are the areas where I have current strengths. These are the areas that I am doing not as well on. And so let me think. Find. Um, train smartly, right? right? Train in a way that focuses on those areas where I can most, where I need to most improve. And and you're right. I think the love of the game really is, can be that driving force. And I think it does need to come from within the player. It can't be external from like a parent or a coach or something. I think it has to come from within the person that they really have to be the one to love what they're doing, um, to really have the passion to to continue to move forward. Um, and I think, like, completely... Well, see, there's a positive yeah, note. and completely selfishly, as someone who has been trying to be more healthy and be more mindful about, you know, how I'm treating my body and what I'm doing as I get older so that I can, you know, live my best life and all of that stuff, I think it was... For me, I really liked that the body type that the elite players had was one that, yes, you can gain muscle very easily, but if you have some extra pounds, if you have some extra fat, you're going to have a hard time losing it, but it's not impossible. So you know what? It's not impossible for me to reach my goals. And I selfishly was like, darn tootin' I could be an elite player, which is always the goal here, to make soccer better and for Liz to be an elite soccer player. Yeah, it's really good this is not a video podcast because, <laughs> I i mean, don't get me wrong, Liz. I am here to support you in your goals. Thank you. Thank you. To empower you to the ability that I am able mm-hmm. um, for you to achieve the life that you want to achieve. Um, you don't think it's international soccer? You know, <laughs> I don't <laughs> Well... I mean, I'm like, I'm even like too old. <laughs> Guys, she just um, called me, but, she called know, me Liz... old. <laughs> Sorry. This is the paper this that brought us back together number... and then broke us. <laughs> and then broke us again. Liz, Liz is a few years older than I am. Um, but I am also way too old to play uh, to, or to start a career um an elite soccer okay i think we've we've like we've run the gambit come full circle we we've done it liz is there anything else that you want uh our listeners to know about this article or about how we can soccer better uh listen even if we didn't love the article if you're interested you should go read it and you should tell us why we were wrong or what we missed and if you have an article you should tell us to read it and give us zero context except for i promise this is about soccer because that's what we're trying to focus on and we'll read it and we'll let you know what we think um that's all i got right now what about you what's your your parting wisdom for the masses yes well um 
we in the show notes there is always a link to the article so you can read the article that we're talking about uh and you know it's linked in the show notes i will also link the new york times article that i mentioned in the show notes for uh this episode but yeah i mean i think i think for the young players who are out there who want to take that next step um i think that this article should not be um, interpreted as deterministic, right? This article is um, kind of a a, hmm, a a finish line, no, a guide marker. Hmm, I don't know the word, right? This is something to aim for. Uh, this is a goal post to aim hey, for. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, and so yeah, <laughs> yeah. There we go. I mean. I don't know. Whatever. You pick your analogy. Use that analogy. You understand what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah. So so I think I think there is hope. Um, you can do it. Right. And like, you know, I think training smarter is a really good thing. Um, and we should definitely increase access to high quality training um, for all kids and adults who want to learn more about right. soccer and which obviously includes yeah. nutrition so. and a physical doctor and a mental health doctor um and somebody to help you anticipate <laughs> that's right that's right okay liz we we are we are done for we today did it. uh i we done did it okay bye, bye guys thank you to our host the beautiful game network BGN covers teams across the MLS, USL Championship, and USL League One. Check out podcasts and written content at bgn.fm. You can follow us on Twitter at BGN Soccer Better. Head over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to the show and leave us a review. Otherwise, let us know what you thought about this episode and be sure to share it with a friend. Remember, you can always soccer better. The music in our show is Empty Rooms by Booz Radley. Thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier to USL, MLS, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Tired of the same old uniforms and cookie cutter templates from Nike and Adidas? Looking for a unique, completely custom kit for your youth club, Sunday league squad, adult, or even pro team? Icarus FC can help you create the kit of your dreams at an affordable price. Let them help you design your custom kit today at IcarusFC.com.